pad up. It's the Australian Cricket Podcast, and here are your hosts. Welcome to the Australian Cricket Podcast, the podcast all about Aussie cricket. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel, aka Menas, and joining me for this post-defeat episode, I have sports reporter Scott Bailey. How are you, Scott? Uh, I'm going better than the Australian cricket team right now. It's good of you to front up today after such a dispiriting loss. Yeah, it was uh, one of the most, I wouldn't say shocking, but it's probably one of the worst losses in my time as an Australian cricket fan anyway. Definitely. And the other panellist is my old friend Paul, the summer game Dennett. Welcome back, Paul. How are you? Good, manners. I think that when Australia wins, I'm a proud, patriotic Australian. When Australia lose, I'm a cricket fan, and it's good for cricket <laughs> that Bangladesh won, and it's good for cricket that the West Indies won. What a great, what a great time! He's so magnanimous. <laughs> um, so th- uh, we're fresh from the 200th episode here at the show. Great show, boys, my dad. Uh, thank you, Scotty. I want to thank all the listeners that got in touch after the show, congratulating us on reaching the milestone, and uh, they enjoyed the show. So thanks to all the messages. And I've got some news about the show that this is the last episode for six weeks. I'm going on a special reconnaissance mission to England. I'm going there specifically to get in the heads of the English team. And and Paul, you were here, Scott, you might have heard that this podcast has sent English cricket to new lows. So once I'm in the country, imagine what damage I can do. Are they going to let you in? I think they are. I think they are. I'm going with my wife who's English, so it's going to be hard to stop me. There's no point even having the Ashes now. It's 5-0 to Australia. <laughs> it's like the Battle of the Wooden Spooners, though, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> Australia could be ranked six. England, uh, you know, have lost more games than any other test side in the last four years. I mean, are they going to change the Ashes to something Spoon more typical? Australia would be a bit nervous if there had been a second division created. We'd be not, not <laughs> arguing so much for that now. <laughs> yeah, we voted against it. If it was seven and five, we'd be dangerously close. <laughs> Hussey's uh, relegated. Wow, that's a that's a thought. So in this episode of the show, to all the English listeners out there, don't worry. We're going to look back and review what happened in Bangladesh to the Australian cricket team. We've got all the news, the cricket headlines. Then we're going to wrap it up with "Can't Let It Go." So let's start off with a historic victory by Bangladesh, and despite feeling disappointed and hopeful at times that Australia was going to win that match. I expected it. Australia's track record on the subcontinent has always been bad. So for all the headlines to come out today about this being the worst loss ever, well, it's not. Mm. We're playing a good side in their conditions on a, on a wicket we're not, we're not accustomed to playing on. Look, I've been saying for two years that this was a very much a danger series for Australia when we were meant to go over there a couple of seasons ago, obviously put back to 2017 now. But Bangladesh are a team on the rise. But it's not just that. I mean, Australia's won something like two of their past 24 matches on the subcontinent in the last 10 years. I mean, I saw Steve Smith's comments before the test where he said, oh, Bangladesh has only won nine of 100 matches. Well, you know what? That's probably a better percentage than what Australia's got on the subcontinent. It's it's poor in the last 10 years. And the saddest bit about it is probably that it's not a shock that Australia's lost to Bangladesh. No, I don't think it's a shock either. I mean, the preparation was was terrible for, 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 for a variety of reasons, but have Australia ever played a test match on tour not having played where the, where the test match was the first game of the tour? That's, that must be unprecedented. But Bangladesh are definitely a team on the rise. Not only did they beat England in one of the test matches um, earlier, well, late last year, but in 2015, um, there was a rain-ruined series, but they had the better of a two-match series against South Africa. Um, mm. So that, that they are definitely a team going up. And it's 150 million people. 30 or 40 years ago, soccer was their number one sport by miles. Cricket's um, surged uh, to, to take over from it. It is a good news story for world cricket. Now, there's been a few cheap headlines coming out trying to blame the pay dispute for what's happened over there. Do you think it was a factor? Do you think the fact that the players were distracted before in the lead-up to this tour, that it's affected their performance? We haven't had a pay dispute for the past 10 years, and Australia's lost... Sorry, has won two of their past 24 matches there. So pay dispute's got nothing to do with this. It's just, it's an inability to bat on the subcontinent. I mean, Australia has the worst record of all test nations in the past 10 years on the subcontinent as far as batting goes, an average of 26 each. So It's look, worse than Zimbabwe. That, you haven't even won a test match in the last four years. <laughs> so, yeah, we so, are the worst team playing spin in the subcontinent in the world. Yeah, the pay dispute didn't have any impact. The only in, impact indirectly was... I think they would have had a longer time in camp in Darwin um, had that not occurred. But I always go on about preparation, and I know that I live in a naive world. But 
why is it that we went to Dubai ahead of the India series and spent two or three or four weeks there really working hard on pitches with similar conditions? Here we had an intra-squad game in Darwin and then rocked up in the country, had one two-day game that was cancelled, so that was bad luck. But the, the preparation is massively different. And when Shakib Al-Hassan said they won't, um, you know, I can't remember the exact words, but they won't um, disrespect us next time. Yeah. I think that, you know, indirectly is disrespecting them that we didn't say, hey, um, we've really got to prepare for this series properly. We only lost by 20 runs. Had we done all that preparation, you know, maybe that would have been enough to get us over the line. Well, Smith answered that question and he said that conditions in Dubai at the moment, it's just too hot to train there. But I think one thing we haven't mentioned is that the Aussie players do not want to be in Bangladesh. They say they want to be, but security concerns make their life there. They go from the ground to the hotel, from the ground to the hotel, and that is their life when they're on tour there. So the reason this tour is so short is they fly in, they play two test matches, and they fly out. And they're basically in Bangladesh for about two weeks in total. It's like a holiday. So it's not a proper tour, and we're set up to fail. To be fair to the, to the Australian cricket team too, that, that's not their fault by any means. I mean, Wait, the- you don't think the global security situation is their fault. <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. Though. I mean, we're, we're critical of them in a lot of things when it comes to their performance on the subcontinent, but that one we can't put on the players. Yes, exactly. So uh, I think that that has been underplayed. The security concerns have affected the way we approach this tour. Uh, if you look back at the way England approached their tour there, it was the same thing. You know, presidential style security, which means you're in a bubble. It's not conducive to the best cricket and it's not conducive to playing lots of practice matches, you know, no. short, sharp tour. But just on the whether it's our worst ever loss, um, it's not because on the podcast on the 200th episode, I think two of us predicted a drawn series and two of us, two of us predicted a 2 0 result to, to Bangladesh. So I think cricket fans yeah. expected it. For my money, our worst loss was against New Zealand at the Gabba in 1985 when Richard Hadley took all those wickets and we lost the series against New Zealand, the only time we've ever lost a home series to New Zealand. And the year later, then we lost the Ashes. Mid-80s was our absolute low point. We're nowhere near that low at the moment. It's an interesting discussion. I mean, I've, well, I'm 20... for people a lot older. <laughs> well, that's I, remember I was going to say, as a 27-year-old, I probably haven't seen Australia lose many series, but I'd probably say... 2010-11 Ashes series in Australia. I know England were a quality opponent, but the way Australia were humbled in a number of tests in that series is pretty bad. And it, for mine, that was a lot worse than what we saw in the past week in Bangladesh. And Bangladesh, to be fair, are a team on the rise. And let's give some credit to Bangladesh. Yeah, it's great for cricket. They, they played quite well on the mm. recent tour of New Zealand. They, they got 590 in one game against yeah. New Zealand in New Zealand. So, yeah, the, for, for the youngsters out there, the 86-7 Ashes was quite similar to 2010-11 okay. Ashes. We'll cool. talk about it offline. You'll love it. Glad I wasn't there for that. <laughs> uh, I can't talk about the 2010-2011 Ashes without shedding a little tear, unfortunately. <laughs> That Boxing Day lives long oh, as probably the worst day of my life. <laughs> Even worse than when my father passed away. Wow. Um, now, <laughs> to next one. Um, Paul's lost it. Um, all right, so. Probably edit that out. <laughs> no, I'm not editing it out. So I want to move on now to the test match in detail. You know, I got a lot of stick on, on social media for obviously being a strong supporter of Australia. And it was a crushing loss for me because I always get caught up in the emotion and Australia looked like they were going to pull off a, a famous victory. While David Warner was batting out there, he made a beautiful 112 of 135 in really difficult conditions. I actually thought we were going to get over the line. It was the hope that got me in the end. But Warner came into that final innings with people questioning whether they should play him on the subcontinent. So I got a question from Tim, and his question was, does that century redeem him for future Asian tours? I, personally, I don't think his position was ever in mm. doubt. His record in Asia... But you say horses for courses for someone like Kawaja, Warner's been you know, just as diabolical. You say horses for courses for someone like Kawaja, not me. Okay, well, uh, that's what they say. <laughs> um, but I'm saying um, Warner's record on the subcontinent hasn't been great, but... Uh, other than Smith, whose record on the subcontinent in recent times has been great, at least with Warner at the top of the order, you know that if he does get away, then we're going to go quite well. I, I, he's the second batsman I'd pick in the subcontinent all the time. Yeah, you're a chance with Warner at least. There's other blokes who just don't look a chance at all. You know, it was funny, that second innings ton, at times just before he got out, he looked like he was playing park cricket. Like it was just like half volley, sweep, I'll cover drive that for four. I think it was only the fourth second innings, sorry, fourth fourth innings ton by an Australian subcontinent ever. So Deserved a win. It was probably, I would suggest, one of Warner's best centuries. But it's a good point how, how quickly cricket changes in the subcontinent. That it, it just looked, as you say, like he was playing park cricket. And 
two hours later, we'd lost the test match. It's mm. incredible. So he didn't get any support, but I think you go back to the Australia's first innings, and Australia only made 217 in response to Bangladesh's 260. That's probably where the game was won or lost. Australia left itself a huge mountain to climb, and I think Shakib and Tamim Iqbal's partnership on the first day of 155 was decisive. I thought those two batted really well, and you know, after having Bangladesh in trouble early, they really got them to a really competitive score. Yeah, they batted really well, and... And throughout the match, that as expected, Australia always do the little things well and other teams don't. It could have been a lot worse. I mean, the fact that Bangladesh dropped, was it Agar, at the start of that crucial partnership? Their captain was run out because he was just too lazy to put his bat back in when, you know, um, and he was on about 40 not out. There were plenty of other drop catches. They put the field back when, when they didn't need to, you know. A more tactically astute and um, professional sort of side may well have beaten Australia by a lot more. Yeah, I just knew Australia was in trouble from that first afternoon. Bales, you must have seen it. You know, Warner goes, well, he gets out twice in two balls. I think he got referred, then that got switched, and then he got out next ball. And then Kawaja ran himself out on that first afternoon. And it wasn't that moment in isolation. It was sort of the tip of the iceberg for me, the way Australia seems to unravel in subcontinental conditions. You wouldn't see on the first afternoon of the Gabba, Usman Kawaja, you know, knock one and just run because he wouldn't be like a rabbit in the headlights. So from, yeah, it was terrible stuff. The he one didn't even knock it. Yeah. He, he left it and therefore wasn't going to get a run out of it anyway because it was a dead ball if he ran <laughs> and then got run out because of it. It's under tell. Like, I mean, Usman is a great bat in Australian conditions and I'm, that's I would laugh at that if that happened in under-12s cricket and I was coaching that a kid padded up, ran and got run out. Like, but the, the one composure of that, or the one sign of composure, was was Warner um, having been given out and challenged successfully. The next ball given out, and he must have thought that was a bit high, that was potentially missing. I reckon almost every other batsman in the world would have challenged that. The fact that Warner had the the wherewithal with, with his terrible record in Asia to say, no, I, for the good of the side, I'm not going to challenge that. And then it sh- was shown to be umpire's call. Oh, that was really impressive. Yeah, and I think that whole day... Menders can't believe I've found something positive out of that, <laughs> that afternoon. No, no, just impressive use of the DRS. It's a, the, the, that, do we need a stat for that? You know. Like one. The, the first day and a half really showed... I think it showed two things. It showed how important momentum is in on the subcontinent. You know, uh, Bangladesh were able to you know, arrest the momentum back when they were three for ten. And then, obviously, Australia... Quick wickets, quick wickets. And it also showed, I think, there must just be, you know, jitters go through that Australian dressing room when they lose a couple of quick wickets because it's happened so many times now. It means the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. You've got all that underneath just waiting to come to the surface. Now, I don't want this show to be doom and gloom and depressing. As we said, Bangladesh, a good side, beat us. And there were some positives for Australia out of this test match. We've talked about David Warner's innings. Hopefully, he can take that form moving forward. But there is the powerful return of two wonder kids of Australian sport, Pat Cummins and Ashton Agar. They both played so well throughout this game. Cummins with the new ball in the first innings took a three for not many and ended up with three for 63. He bowled well in the second innings and then he made two scores, 25 and 33 not out on really difficult conditions. I mean, I just think Pat Cummins now is in that period where the next five years, the sky's the limit. I hope you're right and you may well be right. But my only one concern about him, and I harp on about this, is his desire to bowl every ball as fast as he possibly can. You know, he's six foot four. He has sort of a, an action through the crease, a bit like Jason Gillespie. He's got the height of Glenn McGrath. Just slow down 5%, bowl slightly within yourself, be metronomic in your accuracy. Still, you can still bowl quick. You can still bowl the occasional extra fast ball. But I think that's the difference between, you know, when he's bowling to Joe Root, Joe Root's not going to care if it's 150. If it's, if it's on his pads, he'll hit it for four, 150 kilometres an hour. But just that snapshot of what we saw with that sort of new ball spells, swing, pace, yeah. you know, attacking the outside of the off stump. Oh, the upside's huge. I, I, there's every chance you'll be right. Um, I'm just That's my only concern. And I just think, you know, Scott, we've been waiting for so long for Paddy to come back. And we, we saw him last year with the Thunder smashing the ball out of the park. So he's got it with the bat and the ball. And now in a really difficult conditions, he's shone. I mean, it's a, it's a great sign. The absolute highlight of that match for Australia was Pat Cummins. If Pat Cummins, like you say, for the next five years can be at his best and obviously be injury-free, and we, we all hope and pray that's the case, if he can be at his best for the next five years, then that's going to do the world of good for Australian cricket, and especially for our bowling. I mean, we have 
sorry, I shouldn't say we. Australia have three or four of the best fast bowlers going around. As long you say as they, we on the podcast, I know, know but I try and be a neutral journalist. I try and be objective, but Australia does have. I try and fail <laughs> consistently. Yeah. I didn't know that you tried. <laughs> <laughs> that was the highlight. Ashton Agar. Well, let me give you the figures for Ashton mm. Agar. Three for forty-six. Positive. Two for fifty-five in the second innings. Forty-one not out in the first innings. Second top score. Batted very well. Failed in the second innings. But again, a player I wasn't sure about has stood up on a difficult track. His batting was was great in the first innings. And that, that for mine, I, that was actually what I took the most out of Ashton Agar. I mean, three wickets in the first dig. That was good. Second, they showed a pitch map which was interesting about Agar's bowling. And he's a lot more all over the place yeah, that compared was... to someone like Lyon. They have that sort of mountain. It's quite a good graph. Mm. And he doesn't hit the spot as consist- consistently as Lyon does. At least he got some wickets. I mean, Lyon took a long time to really do He got wickets in his first um, tour of Sri Lanka. Had a lot of period in the subcontinent of Asia after that where he didn't do so well. Agar at least got some wickets in this game. I think there's... there's... Oh, he's bowling. Is it? You can't compare it to what it was a few years ago to now. I yeah. Mean, he's come on leaps and bounds. He's not the bowler O'Keefe is. And... He's not the complete package yet, but to be fair. See, I have an issue with the fact that Agar, when he was named, there was the mention that, you know, because he'll be the person that goes, that was said by someone in Cricket Australia. He'll go to India in four years. Yeah, that was said by Cricket Australia, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. So why why was that a thought process for a test match Four right years now. away, yeah. Exactly. It's, it's even completely it, flawed. It, how, you concentrate on this game and how you're going to win it. Absolutely. It, even if it was a test match six months away, I, I don't care. The same criticism has been about bringing Usman Khawaja back in to get him some match practice for the Ashes. I mean, this this test match should be this these test matches should be viewed separately to the Ashes. So well, it's a strange thought process. Well, every test is important. Like, if you talk to any player, and I know it's a cliche, and they just say it, but every test is important when you play for your country. Well, if that's the case. <laughs> then why are we, Why is a bloke playing for something in four years' time? I don't, I, that, that, oh, you're absolutely right. Four years. I mean, if it was one year or two years, I'd still disagree. Two years, I'd yeah. still disagree with it. But four years. Twenty twenty one sounds like a um, like a fake year. Like it does possibly won't even happen. <laughs> <It's> not- <laughs> well, the way Trump's going, it might not. <laughs> exactly. So, all right. Now I want to talk about because we've we've given Nathan Lyon a lot of rubbish on this podcast and since its inception. But Nathan Lyon is now two hundred and fifty six. Mm. Test wickets. He's only behind Shane Warne on wicket takers by Australian spinners. He had an excellent match: three for seventy-nine and six for eighty-two. This is this stat is from Gav Joshi. Lyon now has five wicket hauls in three of his last four tests in Asia. Uh, World class in all conditions. The goat. And then Adam Collins said that when Nathan Lyon left Sri Lanka last year, his average in Asia was forty-four. In the five. Some subcontinent tests since then. He has 28 wickets at 22.9 with three five-wicket hauls. So he's absolutely conquered Asia. And it's just a shame some of our batsmen haven't been able to do the same. No, he hasn't. He hasn't conquered Asia. He's, he's, he, the last five test matches, he's done very well. But averaging 44 before that... Five test matches in isn't enough to rewrite the, the records on that. He's a, he's a, he's a decent bowler. Scathing no, from not Paul scathing. Dennett. I'm not Those scathing. stats don't lie. The, his overall career t- average in test cricket is 33. But five It's a very decent bowler. Yeah, yes, I agree with that assessment. But in the last five tests to be averaging 23. Yeah, that's really good. That's amazing. It's uh, a, and it's not a small sample size. It's not one series. It's... You know. Yeah, but his overall average in Asia, he still averages over 30 in India. He still averages over 30 in Sri Lanka. His average in UAE is 140-something. He's, he's improved. But, That's what they're saying. He's, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah he's, he's improved, absolutely. But I'm just saying, I'm just taking issue with you saying he's conquered Asia. I, I think that's a bit too far. Let's give Nathan Lyon... I'm going to give Nathan Lyon a lot of credit here. I mean, how many of the Australian team have walked away from a subcontinent and come back and improved and actually shown they've learned a lot out of it? Nathan Lyon's probably one of the few that we can say that. He, you know what impressed me most about Nathan Lyon? Was he took wickets in the second bowling innings of the match because that was something he didn't do so much in India in the first couple of tests. I think he might have in one of the no, last right, year. Yeah. Whereas... On uh, on Tuesday, he took wickets. You know, and if it wasn't for Nathan Lyon, Australia could have been chasing three fifty, and he it wouldn't have been a chance game. at all. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm just I'm just objecting to your conquered. Um, uh, con- con- no, was it? Uh, look, he's, he's conquered Bangladesh. He so far. is the second. <laughs> he's the second greatest spinner of um, the Australia's ever produced. Oh, oh. That's absolute rubbish. On on paper, no, he's not. On paper, his average is nowhere near the, the second best. But what about taking wickets? Is well, for, there... for a while, Alex Stewart had the most runs of any English batsman. Was he the best batsman England had ever produced? Can I ask yeah. a question, Paul? Who's the best spinner Australia's ever produced? Bill O'Reilly, Shane Warne. Many people are going to ask you Shane Warne, and that's because he's taken seven hundred Test wickets. Yeah, but um, as I said, 
aggregate is good and you play for a long time, that's, that's massively to your credit. But ultimately, you've got to look at the average. Once the average is from a decent sample size, sure, if someone's only played five test matches, that's different. But once you've taken a few hundred wickets and it's an accurate sample size, they just play more test matches now than they used to. You can't um, get completely infatuated by, by the total number of wickets, I don't think. Was Bill O'Reilly selected in Wisdom's Team of the Century? I don't know, Baz. No, he wasn't. <laughs> I, just, I just think... Uh, anyway, oh, look, I digress. I, I want to just... just bring up something before we move on from the first test. In the last podcast, there was quite a heated argument between Paul Dennett and Gav Joshi about the weather situation in Bangladesh. <laughs> Paul was convinced it wasn't going to rain. Gav said he had men on the spot that said it was going to rain. And I think what was bubbling over there was some tension about your recent TV appearances in India. And Gav's like, what's going on? You know, I've been working so hard and you just weaseling over the top onto star sports. But it didn't rain. You were vindicated. Yeah, well, it, um, it, it rained a little bit, but... Well, um, hardly. The game, <laughs> hardly. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing with the, the forecast was that it wasn't too bad. And I mean, you're saying computers work. Yes, and I'm, Gav I'm, disagrees. I, <laughs> I saw a headline on the way in here that it's like I think a third of Bangladesh is currently underwater, so yeah. it definitely is raining in Bangladesh, just not where the cricket was. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do you think there's anything to Gav's? I mean, it was strange the way you, Gav went at you uh, last show. Oh no, um, I think you're trying to, to create um, controversy where it doesn't exist, Menace. Um, okay, I'll, well, I'll certainly tune into the next show. They're both on Menace. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna get Gav's side of this one. All right, now let's look at the second test in Chittagong. The big news is Stephen O'Keefe has been flown in for an injured Josh Hazelwood. I'm going to ask you both, will Australia dare to play three spinners in the next test? I think they might, and I think that they might as well, because I don't think that Hazelwood... Normally, Hazelwood getting injured would be a disaster for Australia, but I think in this game, he probably wasn't going to bowl that many overs anyway. No disrespect to him, he's a great bowler, but in those conditions, I mean, I don't think Shafiel Islam for Bangladesh... Or Mustafiz Rahman bowled a single ball in the in the second innings. Um, I think we definitely should play three frontline spinners. What would your set? What would your side, given the squad that they're there, uh, be for Bangladesh? You guys? Well, I would stick with the same team. I would do a straight swap: O'Keefe for Hazelnut. Hazelnuts. I made a slight adjustment. Someone suggested I just pluralise it. So, yeah, O'Keefe for Hazelnuts. Or you could go to his name and Hazelwood. No, I was going to say, I did notice the first few references, you called him Hazelwood. That was almost going to be the thing that I can't get over, but you (laughs) changed it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I don't like this idea of dropping Kawaja and bringing Cartwright in just so Cartwright can bowl two overs with the new ball. If you're going to pick three spinners, one of them can open the bowling. Bangladesh do it. We should do it as well. Yeah, well, based on the squad that's there... I, the only change I can see happen is is sock in. Uh, obviously, Faisal, that's the only change I can but see happen. But there is a, a huge push to to drop Kawaja now. Yep. I mean, it was a glaringly bad performance. Would you be in favour of that just just so you have a medium pace option? No, because I think that the, the, the run out was comical, but it wasn't actually a reflection on how good he is at batting in terms of the, playing the ball. No, it was just his mental state, probably. No, it was, just, it was just a run out. These things happen, you know, everyone makes a mistake. He actually only got out once in terms of traditional court bowl, whatever else. So it, was a, it was a poor sweep shot in the second innings, but lots of Australians weren't doing so well. I think that he's in, in our plans for the Ashes. He's been treated quite poorly in the past. I think that we might as well keep him in the side. And he's a, he's a quality player. You know, give him a few, a little bit of luck early on, wouldn't be beyond him to, to score some runs. What I'd do, um, and I'm coming around to your way of thinking, Menas, on this, is I just can't see Wade scoring any runs in the second match. I'd drop Wade and bring in Cartwright and get Hanscom to keep. Um, yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, Wade looks so bad. I mean, this the decision to drop Neville looks worse every Test match because I mean Wade. And, and I agree. Sorry to interrupt, Paul, but I want to give you some kudos here. Not only are we losing, but it looks worse when your keeper's chirping away, getting in trouble, and he's not scoring any runs. He's dropping catches, and he's he's just sledging. It's just not not a good look. You'd rather Neville be a bit quiet. I had to watch this game with the sound down because of the commentary. I mean, part of the commentary I love, the Bangladeshi commentators were so touchingly keen for them to win. They weren't biased. They were just... I thought they were funny, though. Yeah, they were great. Kind of had like a naivety to it, the commentary. The thing that I didn't like was the endless, like... There was one point where someone made a lengthy point about how, towards the end of Australia's first innings, that they should try to get as many runs as they can now while they're still batting. And then when they're bowling, they should really try to get some wickets. And I think, gee, that's a... (laughs) That's a fantastic point. (laughs) So I didn't hear Wade. (laughs) I don't have any issues with Wade's chat, to be honest. I mean, that's that's not a concern for me. What's a bigger concern is the fact that... You can't bowl or keep? 
he can't he can't yeah, he can't bat okay well, he's key yeah absolutely he's but no, key that was my other option if you don't want to pick um cartwright cartwright Wade opens the bowling, Hanscom keeps, and then at the first drinks break, they switch. Because Wade's quite a handy medium pacer. Well, it worked out in Hobart, or didn't work? They tried it in Hobart a few years ago, didn't they? So, so guys, 2-0. Is it going to happen? I think it's every possibility. But I think that um, Australia will be better for the run. We also need to acknowledge that winning the toss was important for Bangladesh. If Australia win the toss in the second test match, then um, uh, there's every chance they'll go on to win the game. And I think that... You look at Steve Smith's dismissals. The first test match, jumping down the wicket to one, and the second one, sort of cutting one that probably wasn't there to be cut. That's the sort of thing that I think that he'll get out of his, he'll, he'll rid from his game in the Such second test. Such a get out shot, isn't it, of Smith? I don't know why he does that all the time. Well, Maxwell did it as well. But well Maxwell, Australia, he's a walking yeah, wicket at like, the moment. No, he's not. I can't believe I, I backed him. Maxwell played, played two terrible shots, but other than that, um, he actually looked one of the better players. Well, that's how you get out, <laughs> playing <laughs> a bad shot. <laughs> that's the thing, that Maxwell looks great on highlights, because he's always <laughs> one of the best batsmen on highlights. As for whether it's 2-0, I'm really interested to see what kind of pitch uh, is served up here for the second test. I mean, will we see a very batter-friendly pitch in order to get a draw? One new result over the Aussies would be yeah, a I massive result. I think it'll be either a rank turner or... I think they, it's hard to produce really flat wicket there. So I think it'll be a rank turner and they'll just try and spin us out again. But they've also only got four days between that result. They can't do too so much. So they can't yeah. do too much. But I'm interested by that because there was an interesting point made in commentary. Probably didn't hear it because the commentary was down. <laughs> but the, you know, two years or so ago... Bangladesh used to prepare really flat pitches because a draw was a good result. Whereas now they're preparing pitches that are results driven and you know are trying to get a win or a loss because they're confident they can win games and win test matches. So and I, I thought that was a really good point. I'm not sure who made it. Shakib Al Hassan was the the player who said it. I think they might have been referring to his. Quote. Okay, then yeah. there you go. Yeah, it was very interesting. And so we might not see one that goes for a draw. I don't know, but look, to be honest, give me an answer. Yes or no? Two nil. No, I think it'll be a one all draw. Great, a yep. one all. So, do you think Australia will win? I think Australia will win because it won't be a draw unless um, the, the, no, no. I would just sorry. I don't think yeah, I, I can't see Australia being worse than what they were in the first test because they've in, without having played a, a practice match or warm match, etc. I think they'll be better for the first te- uh, because of the first test. They only lost by twenty. I think we'll see a one-all draw for the series. I think if Australia win the toss and bat, we're probably seventy thirty winning. If Bangladesh win the Bangladesh win the toss and bat, I'd say it's fifty fifty. Yeah, I think we're cooked. Now, last thing before <laughs> last thing before we move on, I think England's loss to the West Indies is much worse than our loss to the Bangladeshis. Anyone want to argue with that? On I think their loss at home to the West Indies is ten times as bad as our loss on the road to Bangladesh. No, I think that you just want to find some way to feel good about um, Australian no, cricket relative to England. They... Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, Absolutely. we smashed the West Indies here. I mean, they looked like a park side when they played down under, and they, they go to England and look like world beaters in the last game. It's I amazing. sent a tweet out before the first test saying they'll actually go, okay, and justifiably was mocked by everyone after the first test, but it, it, was a, it was a match too early. They're not they're not the terrible side they were a few years ago, the West Indies. They're not a great side but by any means. Give me a number. How much worse is England's loss than Australia's? You're good with numbers. What's the scale? Just give me a number. It's five times 7. worse. 7.3. Five times worse? Out 10 off. times worse? No, I think it's about the same. I'd say it's about 6.4% worse. Okay, thank you. Thank you guys have been... Hey, one other thing you I guys have dropped the ball on that one. One other quick thing. I remember when we were in um, Sri Lanka last year and getting smashed, Ashley Mallett, former Australian off-spinner, made the point that the best way to play against spin when you're coming down the wicket is to try to get to the ball on the full and drive through the line. The Australians coming down the wicket with the intention of hitting it out of the ground, they, of necessity, don't get to the pitch of the ball. So if you have any movement whatsoever, that's when you're going to get stumped as Maxwell did or get bowled as Steve Smith did or get, um, you know, Ashton Agar twice almost holed out doing that. I think the Australians just need to be a little bit more... Peter Hanscom played a really good shot where he jumped down the wicket and just sort of, with a straight bat, bunted one over mid-off with much, much less risk. The Aussies just need to um, you know, pick and choose their shots a little bit more judiciously. As soon as they get a few runs, Bangladesh should put the field back and they can just milk the singles. Yeah, technical analysis. I think they need to sweep more. I think less, of, yeah, the, I agree with that less of the cut shots, more of the sweeping. So, guys, we've got to take a break. We'll be back with headlines after the break. Oh, that's a beauty. That is a beauty. That is special. Ramjilan Goswami pitched off, hit off, top of off. And to get that player 
maybe the greatest batter of the modern game or the game in general, it takes a special delivery. You're listening to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Menas. I'm here with Scott and Paul, and that was Meg Lanning getting dismissed in the Women's World Cup semi-final. And bad news for cricket fans that the Australian women's captain is out of the ashes and the whole summer. And also bad news for Melbourne Stars fan that she's left the Stars and she's looking for a new WBBL club. Any reason for that, Bales? Did some digging this morning, Menas, and I can unfortunately say I Is it the Melbourne weather or is it? What's going on there? She's a Melbourne local, so I'm not too sure on that one, unfortunately. But no, I was surprised too. On Lanning, a bigger question is going to be, who captains Australia in this Ashes campaign? Considering Alex Blackwell is vice-captain, but was overlooked for Rach Haynes uh, in the World Cup as captain. Ironically, Alex Blackwell captains Rach Haynes at state level, at Thunder level, and also at Sydney grade level. So that's a bigger question going into the summer. I just think a massive loss for the Australian side, losing huge for, for the Ashes. Absolutely huge. England it, coming off a World Cup victory will be cock-a-hoop. Big loss for the WBBL 03 as well. Mm, yeah. mm, absolutely, no, it's, it's a real shame. And probably wouldn't have seen her this WBBL se- season anyway, so it's probably uh, not so much a loss for the Melbourne Stars this year, um, but going forward into next year, because obviously the girls can now sign uh, multi-year contracts, and whoever she signs with for this summer will obviously be there next summer. Now, other very good news for cricket now, I think very good news, is that US TV channel CBS have bought Channel 10 that cover the WBBL and BBL. And I think this should be really good for cricket because hopefully Channel 10 will now be back in the running to bid again for the BBL rights and the WBBL rights. Obviously, that's going to just push the value of cricket up in this country. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it seemed a strange situation where cricket was on paper worth a a lot, but because of the changing media landscape, and if Channel 10 was potentially going to go out of existence, that Cricket Australia weren't going to... Channel 9 would have had a clear run. And and possibly wouldn't have had to pay anywhere near as much as as they otherwise would. So... It'd be interesting to explain to the CBS executive who takes over what cricket is and, and why they're <laughs> expecting them to to part with such money to, to, to cover it. But it's good news, yeah. I mean, you look at the ratings, but it's, it's all CBS to be interested in. And let's be honest. Do they have Modern Family as well, CBS? I, they've got a show. lot of those. I don't know if they've got Modern Family. I know they've got Survivor. They've Maybe got Axe the Project. They've got Big Bang Theory. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know they've got that stuff, but to be fair, when someone in America is not going to make the decision no. on where they bid for the big Or they axed the project, not no. unless I got hold of them. Uh, actually, not they might, I actually, actually, I didn't think about this, but you would think now with the US TV channel on board, Christmas Cricket's back on. I mean, they're all up for making money. So. And, ca- and crowd actually, catchers get point. to get the, get the ball. Exactly. But, do you, do you, only, you only dislike the project because it gets in the way of the Big Bash, isn't it? Is that uh, right? Yes. Okay. That's does it, my main reason. Does it get in the way of the Big Bash in Sydney? Uh, yeah, in Brisbane more so, I think. Yeah, because like, obviously last summer up there, yeah. I was doing my head in. Oh, man, that's got insane. Now, next cricket headline. Uh, New Zealand have announced they will be playing a day-night test next March versus England at Eden Park. And I wanted to talk about my idea for the way they should revolutionise day-night test cricket. Now, at the moment... They talk. There's trouble picking up the pink ball under lights. And in the recent test in England at Edgbaston, you know, everyone said it was a good concept, but it's hard to see the ball when you're at the ground. Now, my revolutionary idea is everyone just focuses on the ball and the colour of the ball. Why not also try and do something with the lights so that, you, you know, if you alter, slightly alter the lights or basically do something in conjunction so the lights and the ball work together to make it more visible. Kind of, I don't know, reflection, refraction, I don't know the term, but, you know, you're not moving around to every ground. So say it would just be Adelaide where you need special lights that might just alter the colour. What do you think? I am by no means a scientist. However, that sounds like there might be something in it. And I'll do you a favour and I'll ask a question to someone at some point this summer to find out if it's possible. That's a good... Yeah, it's worth... <laughs> I agree. It's worth trying. Because it, it is it hard be to see when you're at the ground. There's no doubt about it. I mean, the pink ball is not as easy to see at the ground. Well, I'm yet to be at the ground for a pink ball game, but that's what everyone seems to say. The, the other concern as well with the pink ball is that the um, the shine doesn't stay on it, so it's, um, it potentially goes flat after a while. Well, that wasn't borne out in the Edgebaston Test match. So I think your, your other point around it could be a bit dodgy playing a day-night game in um, in March in Auckland where you know the cold weather could sweep in, just as it was in Birmingham. They showed a photo of the, um, you know, you'd expect a Test match in England, the beer sales to be mobbed, that, that, um, that the line for the coffee cart in Birmingham was about 100 metres long because it looked that, like it was about minus three degrees. Isn't that every day in England? Well, Adelaide was cold for last year's day-night Test. 
Brisbane was warm from memory. Always warm. That's what, uh, three shield rounds Camps have been warm. announced before the first Ashes test. So ample preparation for the Aussie players to get ready for the Ashes. This year, there's a couple of changes. There's only one day-night shield round. That will be before the Ashes, obviously in preparation for the Adelaide test. And they are using the Duke's ball for the second half of the season again. But I think three shield rounds should be enough preparation, Paul. Mr. Preparation over there. Yeah, I think where the preparation is needed least is in our home country. But, I mean, three is, three is good, yeah. Oh, well, we need it before home Ashes series to have it in our country. I think three is great. Because, I mean, from memory, last year we only had one round of Shield cricket before the first test. In South Africa, yeah. And didn't end well for us, that series. No, it did not. So, I think this is definitely a better option. Um, as for the Duke balls coming in, I will say players... Do get frustrated sometimes with the amount of changes, especially the Duke balls. They don't. It hasn't been a popular decision to to keep it going. That's no, for sure. well, players feel that that they don't want Sheffield Shield, which I mean isn't the highest standard elite competition, first class cricket. They don't want it to become a um, you know, they don't want to be guinea pigs. Do no, they? that's exactly right. One change I do like, um, I did say they've brought in for the Sheffield Shield is concussion. We mm. can now have players taking out of the game for concussion. Great stuff. Come. So you can actually substitute yes. a player now. It's the same rule they have for the uh, 50 over competition. It's uh, interesting because I think that the ICC refused them permission to do that and now they must have caved it's in. It's a two year trial. Yeah. Uh, by the, I believe it's a two year trial by the ICC. That that's so important. I mean, this day in Asia is so important. We obviously had the situation last year of Adam Voges, Dan Hughes, and I think there was another one involved. There was a high-profile one involving South Australia, wasn't there? When they, yeah, Sam Harper got that, hit in the face with a bat, and then they they weren't weren't allowed to replace. They weren't allowed to, to. Whereas now that's now taken out of the player's hands. So look, I think that's a great decision, and it's um, a must. It's a must for yeah, world cricket. This is the first. Step. It's a but must for world sport. It's a good uh, effort by Cricket Australia that. You know, Australia get criticised for a lot of things, but in so many ways, we lead the world in cricket. That, oh. um, the International Cricket Council wouldn't in have every done... way, Paul. <laughs> the International Cricket Council wouldn't have done this for ten years if it hadn't been. No, well. absolutely. Yeah. Full kudos to Cricket Australia. Yeah, the same time. with Dave very well matches, done. That we're yeah. the ones that you know that, that brought them in. It wasn't going to happen in any other country. Yeah, I mean, we question Cricket Australia a lot in here, but no, that's that's spot on. Yeah, spot on. And now some sad news that. We lost a very good cricket mm. commentator in the last week, also well-known as an AFL commentator in Australia. Drew Morfitt sadly passed away at the age of 69. Word is he was uh, sipping a glass of red wine and watching some football, so I guess not a bad way to go if you're a, a lifelong sports fan. I think that the thing I'd like to say about Drew Morfitt is he never made it onto the commentary critique segment because he was such a good commentator. Uh, he was professional. He was one of those, you know, last sort of batch of people that weren't players. He was a broadcaster mm. and a skilled broadcaster, and that was his craft. I mean, what are your memories of Drew Morfitt? It's one of the real voices of Australian sport. I mean, he's one of those people that um, I, I always think it's telling when you know someone by their voice and not by their face because it means that I don't know, they've had an impact on you. It's not about their uh, character or whatever. It's just because they're so good at what they do. And obviously, Drew was a great character as well. But for the general public who hadn't met him or whatever, you know, he was just so good at what he does as a broadcaster. I think going away from cricket for a second, but the fact that he grew up in Sydney, moved to Perth at 20-odd and became... A, you know, a high-profile AFL broadcaster when he had no idea what AFL was when he left Sydney to me. go there. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that is a, that is a, a pretty big effort, particularly in those days when it's huge. You know, the, these days you grow up in Sydney, you, you know about it, but back then you wouldn't have. Um, massive. Yeah, I, I just thought he was always just a very pleasant voice um, and a very. Um, I associate him with happiness. That you know, the cricket's on. He was a nice voice, one of the many mm. that, that came on. He was also looking back at some of the old YouTube footage. He was in channel ABC's cricket coverage of the nineteen seventies before I, you know, before I was around. And um, uh, it's, it's quite amazing looking at him, very young, and, and talking about cricket from yesteryear. It's, it's a very, a very sad loss. All right. So, uh, best wishes to the Morford mm, family. Absolutely. And let's move on. So that was Headlines, brought to you by our Patreon subscribers. The show's going on a six-week break, so I'm going to try and uh, pause the subscription out there. If you want to do it at your end, that's fine. Now, before we take a break, we've got the next segment today. Bales, I don't know if you heard, but I had a a one-word answers segment in the 200th episode, like a word association thing. I'm going to throw some things at you, and I just want a one-word answer or a very brief answer. I'm a bit yeah. nervous here, Menace. You're a bit nervous? I'm a bit here. nervous. Okay, well, let's get going. Um, but for an example out there, what, what what's an example? Um, if I say, you know, Joe Root, what would you say, Paul? Great. There we go. <laughs> 
Well, it's better than your answer last week. <laughs> yeah, last yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> you're pretty harsh on the point. Well, you're very harsh in all your answers last <laughs> all right. week. All right, so Scotty, first one. Elise Perry as the next Aussie skipper. Don't think it'll happen. Jeff Boycott. Uh, resilient. Shakib Al Hassan's wicket celebrations in the last test. The dancing dab one. Good on him. The Sydney answer. Thunder. Well, champions from two years ago. So that's your answer. <laughs> the champions. That's your answer. That's your emotion. Though. No, you know. <laughs> yeah, okay, we'll go off that. All right. This headline by Chip Legrand in the Australian Today. 1.36 million, but shamed by paupers. What's your emotion when you see that headline? Great figure, but irrelevant. Finally, in one word, sum up how you were feeling about getting married in a month. <laughs> elated. If elated. I was listening, well, elated. Smart planning to get the wedding out of the way before the cricket season. You big tick of approval from Manners on that one. Yeah, two days before an inaugural final, which I've got to cover, but it will be great. Now, I don't know if you guys heard, but Jeff Boycott was in the news last week. Um, Actually, yes. This is what he said, apparently, referring to his own knighthood. Mine's been turned down twice. I'd better black me face. So apparently he said that in a, a function um, during the England-West Indies day-night test because a lot of West Indian cricketers have been knighted, but he hasn't. I would suggest he's very lucky to have his job. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I expected he would get sacked and you'd have no sympathy for him if he did. And just as an aside, the reason he hasn't been knighted and loads of West Indians have been is because he was a very good cricketer, but not a great cricketer. And the loads of West Indian cricketers who knight- got knighted were great cricketers. That's why. I wish you could say that straight to his face. <laughs> well, no, like, I can't believe that anyone would say that in this day and age. And you're right. I can't believe he's kept his job. Uh, you know, imagine, I'm, I'm sure English reactions would be the same as here. Like if it, that was said in Australia, like imagine if Bill Laurie said it, he wouldn't be commentating next week. All right, so listeners, that was um, Scotty on the spot. I would say you fluffed your lines there. Terrible. Now, um, now, before we take a break, we have the Have A Go Your Mug promotion. There's two entries have gone in, and we've got, who have we got this week? We've got Zeds and Foxy. Um, they're my imposed nicknames. I just like to impose nicknames. It's easier. So remember, if you leave a review for the show on any uh, on iTunes or any app you listen to the show, you will go in the draw for a Have A Go Your Mug mug now. Paul, I think you can draw uh, the winner out. I'll give it to you. Okay. Drum roll. This is from uh, Zedative. Can never get enough cricket. Great range of guests, plenty of variety. Now where's my mug? <laughs> well, Lucky, he Zed's won, so your mug is on the right, uh, on the way. Remember, if you have one, have a go, your mug mug, please email me in with your address because uh, otherwise I can't send it to you. I'm still waiting on a couple of people to get back to me. We are going to take a short break and then we'll be back with Can't Let It Go and the conclusion of the Australian Cricket Podcast. Got him. There it is. So Berendorf breaks through straight away, pays a little price, but bounces back brilliantly. Welcome back to the Australian Cricket Podcast. Andrew Mensel, Paul Dennett and Scott Bailey here. And that was Australia's secret weapon, Jason Berendorf, taking a wicket in the W in, in WBBL. That would be interesting. In the BBL. <laughs> the Australian One Day and T20 squads were announced last week for the upcoming tour of India. I think it's five one days and two T20s or five one days and three T20s. I'm not sure, but I have a real problem with the two squads announced. I think that Australia are are yet to identify a group of white ball players that they think can form the nucleus of both ODI and T20 sides. And I think the all-rounders display their muddled thinking. So in the one day side, you have all-rounders Cartwright, Faulkner and Stoinis. But then in the T20 side, the, all three of them are not there. And in come Dan Christian and Moises Enriquez. Boys, what do you think? I agree with you, Manners. And I think that maybe it's a reflection of the fact that Mark Waugh is now kind of his main or only job in the selection panel is to pick the T20 side. So maybe it's different personnel who are responsible for the selecting. But you want to see, I think, on this tour for the T20 side, either a side that's picked that's our best side to give us the best chance of winning the games or a side that's picked solely with an eye to the future. To me, this seems to do neither. You know, if you're going to pick a side for the future, where's, you know, Dunk or Hazlitt or McDermott or Swepson or Chris Green or someone like that, 
But if you're going to pick a side who's just going to win it now, then why not pick some of our um, superstars now? I think they should just pick a side to win it because that side looks to me like it will get belted by India, and that's, that's no good. Uh, look, but Bales, just before, do, do you think, though, that they just don't know who their best all-rounders are? Because how can you have three all-rounders in the ODI side so they're good enough to be the best in the country at one-day cricket, but then they're not good enough to make the T20 side? It's so confusing. It's confusing is the word. I don't understand half the ODI squads or T20 squads we've picked. The only side you can ever look at and say, okay, that is what the selectors believe our best team is, is the test team. Exactly. Every other tour, like, I couldn't tell you who's from those... What is Tim Payne doing as the keeper? Like, I know he's had a good BBL, but is he going to be the keeper in the next T20 World Cup? You make a good point of Ben Dunk. Neville was the keeper last time. Cameron Bancroft was a few T20s ago. It's just really confusing. I don't think they've identified a group that can win. They've got enough spinners over there either. I mean, the T20 in India, you want spinners. Yeah, they've got Zampa and Head. They've picked Swepson on this tour to give him experience and then they're not going to play him, which is fair enough. Why not pick him? Um, he looked really Agar's good. not in either of these sides. Agar, yeah, it's, 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 it's weird. And, and Swepson came to light in last year's Big Bash, yeah. remember? That was where we all what, noticed Mitch Swepson. As I say, I couldn't actually tell you who was being dropped or recalled or whatever from either of these squads because the, the squads change that often depending on what's coming up, what they're planning for in the future, who's available, you know, management systems as far as workload management goes. I, I don't know who's in and who's out. And does Mark Warner? I'm not sure he does. I, I think that there's a, a case for saying you, you, the point around the, 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 the test side, we always know who's going to be in it with maybe one or two positions up for grabs. Mm. Um, but if you said to me, name 14 players to see if you can get the 11, I'll always get them. Yeah. I could name 50 players and potentially not get the, the T20 side. Australia hasn't won a T20, a world T20. Um, we've performed abysmally in them. The rest of the world cares about them. We should start caring about them. We should have a squad that we should all know. Yeah, like yeah. a core group of eight or nine yeah. players are going to... Yeah, and one or two changes, but yeah. From a news point of view, like I know when the ODI squads get announced, the T20 squads get announced, the only... like. It's hard to even look for who's been brought in or yeah. or like what's a shock because we're not shocked when five de- debutants get a run. Whereas it, on a test tour, it is a shock when like you know when anyone gets called up that we haven't seen for a few years. I mean, Berendorf though is someone to watch. Oh he, yeah, he's absolutely. A very he's dangerous fast bowler. He could be in the Ashes. Yeah, blighted by injury, but he just has this knack taking wickets with really good balls. And when I've watched him bowl, he almost looks one of those players that's too good sometimes for domestic cricket. Mm. He bowls these great balls that get the play and miss. And you'd love to see him up in the Aussie colours bowling to the English. And the way it's going, you've got Stark injured, Pattinson injured, Hazelnuts injured. The the cupboard is depleting. So it's going to be a race against the clock. Berendorf is certainly in the mix. Can I make a really positive note about this? these two squads? Pat yes. Cummins is selected in both. They've played him, Patty, in, yeah, and Agar is in the one day squad. Sorry, but the fact that yeah, so but the fact that Pat Cummins is selected in both before an Ashes series to me that tells me they are one hundred percent confident in his confident in his fitness now. Otherwise, they would have rested him at, in at least one of them before the Ashes. So hopefully, we've seen the end of Pat Cummins' injuries. Touch wood, and they now believe he is just as rehabilitated and fit as any other bowler in the cupboard. Good point, and just just one name on the squads that just stands out to me is Kane Richardson in the Australian T Twenty squad. Look, I hope he proves me wrong, but if he comes into that series and dominates in India, I would be quite shocked. He just seems to be the wrong person to be picked for. Um, in, I don't think Nathan Coulton Isle is necessarily the right one either, but Kane Richardson in India, I just can't see him um, you know, doing anything. Yep, so we have slammed the T20 and One Day squads. Big tour, though, in India next month. Uh, there'll be massive crowds there. And I'll be on holiday, so I won't be covering that one. Are you going to be watching it, Menace? Of course I will, always. Um, Now, listeners, it's time to end this show with one of my favourite segments, Can't Let It Go. I've got a few, but let's start with you, Scotty. Do you you have something for me? Is this going to be another one-word segment? (laughs) Or is this going to be the wrong-placed one-word segment? I wasn't prepped on the one-word segment. Uh, That's the idea. Yeah, I know, but I'm not very good at that. Come on. How are you going to be on your wedding night? Sorry, go on. I'll be great. Don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. Can't let it go. Oh, yeah, so... Usman Khawaja, I know I've spoken about it before, but I can't let go. can't run. I just can't believe that you leave it, you pad up, and then take off and get run out. Like you can't, it's you can't get a run if you. That's got men is written all over. It, That's how I used to get out a lot. Things like that. I, I mean, Usman's going to keep his spot. He deserves to keep his spot because it was only one test. They obviously backed him. Yada yada. But I don't care what player it was, what level we're talking. I just cannot believe. 
he's padded up to a ball and ran and got run out. It's very much in the mindset of Australian cricketers that he might not know the law. Um, the, <laughs> yes. the, the Australian cricket side are very much, you know, I remember Jeff Thompson once um, declaring, oh, that was weird, the umpire didn't give that out, and it pitched about um, a foot outside leg stump, and clearly he didn't know the LBW law and he was a fast bowler. I sometimes think that's an asset. They're just, you know, don't bother me with the um, the details. I'm just going to go out there and hit it hard and bowl fast. That was very Australian of him. It's very sports. Of the, yeah. <laughs> it's not just it's not just Australian cricket. I'll give you the big tip. There's a lot of sports that fall into that. But it was just a case he was desperate to get off strike. <laughs> I know it was embarrassingly bad. Poor Usman. That's all I can say. Uh, I'm backing him to do a right in the yeah, So am I. I don't want a bad look. So I actually think he'll be. I think he deserves to keep his spot. Now, Paul, what's your can't let it go from the week of cricket? Well, for me, just watching the English cricket and listening to the talk around it, this feeling that Jimmy Anderson is the best bowl, the best fast bowler they've ever had. Lots of people have been saying it and no one challenges it. And I just thought, I can't let that go because he's not the best fast bowler that they've ever had. Um, even if you just confine it to, to recent, uh, you know, say the, the relatively recent past. He, his bowling average of just under 28 is, is very fine and very nice, just like... Craig McDermott or Jeff Thompson or Merv Hughes or Paul Rifle or Graham McKenzie. There are lots of bowlers there at that level that's pretty decent. But Fred Truman from, from yesteryear, the 1960s, had a bowling average of, of 21. Bob Willis had a bowling average of 25. Uh, Alec Bedser from a little bit earlier than that had a bowling average of, of 24. Just because he's taken the most wickets. All those guys took plenty of wickets. They're all right up there near the top. He's a very decent also bowler. the eye test. I mean, just the eye test. Anderson is not as good a bowler as some of the bowlers you've just named. No, and I mean, he's a great swing bowler, and he's, um, he's a, his wrist position, they go on about conditions that. conditions favour, he can destroy anyone on his day. His wrist position is one of the most beautiful things you'll ever see. But um, when you take your wickets at almost 28, yeah. you just can't. I mean, it's an insult to, the, to, to, to their players of yesteryear. Same as when they say Cook's their best ever batsman. That's crazy as well. I like it. Can't, it's a popular sentiment. Can't let it go. Um, something about mm. Anderson. I think I had his an end being named after him while he's still playing. I mean, that that he should be banned from the game just for that. I think that was fine. That was nice. I think oh. it was a t- touching gesture. Oh, whatever. <laughs> All right. So can't let it go. Menes he's has. A great, he's a very good bowler. You know, no, don't get me wrong. He's not their best ever. I'm concerned about him this summer for, from an Australian Can point of view. Can you just leave it? So. Oh, he'll get absolutely nasty at him. He'll get smashed this summer. I wouldn't pick him in the Ashes out here this summer if I was England. In all if you ever want to Can, we, can up, we get that on tape, please? George Bailey smashing Anderson. It's great. All right, so can't let it go. I've got a few, as always. First one is there's talk that uh, Ben Stokes has got one point left on his rap sheet, and if he loses another point, he's suspended for a test. Some people have suggested that he do something to get suspended before the Ashes. I was thinking he should do a stand-up routine, something really really rude, say something clever and get suspended. <laughs> uh, you know, pull out some really... Um, Blue material. <laughs> just do it. Do something clever, just rather do a, than just to sw- abuse someone. Just do a Daniel Worrell. Yeah, that, well, <laughs> that's a good one. He, he he could be in the running for the penis award then. Um, next one, I can't. Or let, he could just not swear again. Well, yeah, he He's, could just behave himself and yeah, not I mean, get I, suspended. I think that they've gone over the top with suspending players just for swearing. I think I've got no problem with that. But given that's the those are the rules, just just keep your mouth shut, champ. Next one, shy hope. What a what a story. Yeah. First player at Headingley to ever score a century in both innings in a first-class match. That's after 500 games. He led England to a famous West victory. Indies. And, uh, you know, Shy Hope West was... Indies. Oh, sorry. Thank you. <laughs> what did I say? England? Yeah, no. Ooh, got that one wrong. Um, he would get knighted, though, probably. Um, <laughs> so, the, the next, though, the amazing performance by Shy Hope. Just, that, on, just on that, I'd never heard before of that whole stat of... That they'd played 500 games at Headingley over 130 years, and no player had scored um, a century in each innings. Just after he'd scored it, um, Andrew Sampson, who I think is the statistician for the BBC, sent out a tweet saying, Western Supermare, with 191 games, has now hosted the most first-class matches without a century in each innings. To, to be able to send that stat straight away after it means almost like he was actively monitoring it. I think that's one of the, the most beautiful statistics. Gloriously irrelevant. How would you possibly know that? That guy should deserves a knighthood. Can I ask a question? What's more beautiful, that statistic or Jimmy Anderson's wrist position? Oh, his wrist position is exquisite, isn't it? Just a pity he just can't seem to get his wickets more cheaply. There's a shy hope giving hope to West Indies fans. I've got two more can't let it go, oh, one gonna... you're going to love. But well, the first one is one of my favourite players, Shajil Biscuits Khan, has been suspended for five years for spot fixing in the Pakistan Super League. So 
I mean, it shows you a kind of talented opening batsman, stroke player. I mean, we saw him looking rather portly last summer for Pakistan. Mm. So uh, he's suspended. a really disappointing story because Pakistan cricket had supposedly kind of cleaned all of this out. The other disturbing aspect of it is that it's five years, but two and a half of those years are suspended and they've backdated it till February when the incident occurred. So he'll actually be eligible to play again in the, in the not too distant two future. Years. I just don't think he'll be fit enough to come back. I just think that um, if he comes back and plays for Pakistan... Um, I mean, if he shows enough remorse and whatever else, but I, I just think they need to investigate how this happened. There must be some seriously bad elements at play there because he had a county deal lined up. He was a budding superstar. Financially, he was going to be okay. If he comes out and is on a team sheet and on a, on a tour out here in the future, uh, it, it's a bit wrong to charge money to expect people to go and watch him play. Does, does anyone care about the PSL yeah, that's, now? That's exactly what I was about to say. Can I, well, this is controversial, and I'm not defending match-fixing, spot-fixing, whatever, but when you play, when there is so much pointless cricket play, being played and people don't... like obviously, like when you play So you're the, saying it's all right? I'm not saying oh, it's, it's all okay. right because it was just another no, no, I'm not game. saying it's okay. Is but, that your excuse? No, but um, what I'm you're saying is when you're playing for your, for your country or your state or whatever... It means something, mate. When you're running around playing for 14 different franchises in a year, of course, of course, you don't really care that it's much. About inner morals, I mean, oh, absolutely. What's right and, wrong. But, and what I mean is, if you're a viewer like us who love cricket and you see the PSLs on, you've got to have question marks. You don't want to watch it because you think, well, it's probably fixed. Is this a real contest? In so many different. T20 leagues because the players aren't playing for anything other than propelling themselves forward. You know, obviously you get paid for it. You, the better you play in T20 leagues, the more money you can earn in your next T20 league. They're not playing for a baggy blue or a baggy green or whatever. Oh, look, I, I look down on anyone. Like, so you're making excuses. I'm not for saying biscuits. it's okay, but I'm biscuits saying biscuits has put his hand in the cookie jar one too many times. I'm not saying it's okay, but what I'm saying is cricket has opened itself up for biscuits. It. <laughs> I don't hate it. I don't, it's better than hazelnut. No, I, I agree with you, and um. The sad thing is Hazelnut that although um, the, the PSL actually does mean a lot to the people of Pakistan, um, and that's what makes, he, what makes what he has done even worse, because they played the final in Pakistan, uh, one of the few, and lots of the international players did go and play. David Milan, who's just made his debut for England, went and played in it, and it was a, one of the, the, the first big ticket games of cricket to be played in Pakistan for a long period of time. So there are lots of people who are mm, absolutely into the Pakistan yeah. Super League. I see that on Twitter. And for this guy to have done that, there must be some really bad elements at but, play. But you know what? I liken it to... I know it's on a completely different level and no one cares about week not into cricket, but if I'm playing a week not into cricket match and someone says, hey, Scott, I'll give you 50 bucks if you don't bat that well and I'm filling in for a team, you know what? <laughs> Let's be honest. Most people would probably consider taking the $50. Okay, so you've just said you're a cheat. No, well, I'm not saying I'm a cheat. But, but what, I'm, what I'm saying is if you... Like if so you've got no morals. That's no, what I'm but if you're, so your morals can easily be eroded. Uh, just like I, that. I agree with Scott 100%. Yeah, like and, if you um, keep giving, if you're playing for, what, not actually playing for anything that you represent. So, can then, I join your team? And, what are you it, saying? It, so are just because you're playing for a franchise, you can take money? No. So the, if a West Indian player or some player comes here and plays for the Thunder, your team, they're they not don't my care, team, mate. I'm objective. Don't even know I'm objective. The Western suburbs of Sydney's, oh, it's all right for him to spot fix. Um, He's got no skin in the game. Scott raises a good point that, um, the ICC need to be all over the the leagues where the, the, they're out of the limelight a bit because that's where that's where it all began with um you know the whole Chris Cairns trial was around that that, uh, that weird precursor to the Indian Premier League that's where you've got to really um, jump all and over that, it. that's where like where I've got this thought from in the first place I've long said this I just think when you're not representing something that's important to you it opens the door for this yeah you're more vulnerable but I don't think it's it doesn't make it okay I'm just saying but it's, you might take the money I'm not saying I would take the that's money that's what you've said but I'm, I'm saying gonna, I think your fiance needs to have a listen to the your moral compass I said I was a lady show Jeff Lawson when he was on Crash Craddock show when he was talking about the whole um, <laughs> the whole thing with, with um, his marriage so he, with um, uh, Salman Butt he said, everyone's willing to condemn him. If I, I, I say to these people, okay, you're at night, there's no one around, you stop at a red light, um, there's no cars around, no red light camera, the bloke next to you, for whatever reasons, I'll give you 10 grand if you run that red light. Would you do it? And he said, almost everyone I says, so yeah, I'll do it. And so, you know, you've got to put yourself in that position when a lot of these players aren't earning a lot of money to suddenly be um, offered a large amount of money or in the case of um, what happened in 2010, be put under extreme pressure. It deserves wider investigation. How was this allowed to happen? Because you would expect any player in their right mind would tell you to get lost. So there must be something concerning going on. Well, Shahjil Khan and Biscuit's suspension has prompted quite a lively discussion <laughs> and a good way to end the show. Uh, guys, thanks so much for coming into this week for the podcast. 
going to be a while bet- between drinks. We've got the one-day series, the conclusion of this test series. Thank God I won't be back to possibly analyse a 2-0 loss in Bangladesh. We can just erase it from history in the podcast. When you're exactly. Back, we talk about the Ashes and nothing more. Exactly. Preview the Ashes. <laughs> Scotty, thanks for coming in. Good luck with your wedding. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be married next time I'm in here. Yep. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'm punching. That's all I need to say. Mrs. Bailey when you come back. Uh, Paul, thanks for coming in. Uh, we'll catch up soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thank listeners, for downloading the podcast. As always, enjoy the break, and we'll be back in October. What a marvellous stroke. He's played no better shot than that in the whole of this series.